I've asked my, my really great friend Jeremy to come back and grace us uh, with his presence as he brings the word. Um, listen, every time I come up here or any time anyone comes up here, it's nothing of ourselves that speaks to you. Okay, I, I don't have anything that I can say that would minister to you or bless you. I have nothing that I could say that would convict you or cause you to grow in your walk. Um, because to be honest with you, when I'm up here preaching, I'm the one who's convicted most by my preaching. You know, So it's nothing of me. It's not me. And as Jeremy comes up here, it's not him. You know, We're not here for people. We're here for Jesus. And so I beg you, please. As Jeremy comes up to bring the word, really desire to meet Jesus through the word. Amen? So join with me in welcoming Jeremy. I just want to take a few moments to piggyback on, on the crusade trip. Um, had a chance to go up to Seattle as well and you know, it was very, very personal for me because that's where my family is. And my family doesn't know Jesus. Well, some of them do now, and I'll get to that in a second. But um, going up there was, uh, I, I don't know what words could describe that other than exciting and, and hopeful and, and knowing that God had already began a great work in, in my family. And I, and I know that he will continue that until the completion of, of it, as Philippians 1 says. And so going up with great faith, great conviction at even not having a, a great enough burden for them, you know? I, I was convicted of that right off the bat. It's like God, God was saying to me, Jeremy, you need to be praying more for your family. You need to be on your knees more for them multiple times a day, all the time. You need to be caring for them and loving them even more. And so um, we went up there and the, the whole team went to my parents' house for... Uh, for dinner on Thursday night, and we're able to minister to them there and just shower them with love. And my cousin was there too, and just he he came alive with with he's he's never really been in Christian community before. Um, he's been here once before um, when he came to visit and just absolutely enjoyed it. And but for them to come alive at the presence of Christian brothers and sisters who were invading their home, it was. Um, I was so blessed that they were able to be there and, and be around my cousin and, and my family all, all weekend long. So I'll cut right to, right to the chase. On Saturday night, my cousin and his girlfriend came to the crusade. My parents were there all, all three days. And let me, just, let me just give you a little bit of a background very quickly. My, my parents and I, I come out of a, of a quasi-Mormon background. I was a part of the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is now called Community of Christ. And um, grew up in that and was the poster child for that. I, I loved my church very much and loved the people there and still do love the people there. And um, it's, it's uh, kind of like a, a reformed version of Mormonism. It has the same roots. Joseph Smith was the, the prophet, you know, the, the founding prophet of the church. Um, the church has three books of scripture, the Book of Mormon being one, the inspired version of the Bible, which is uh, an edited version that Joseph Smith did, and then a book called the, the Doctrine and Covenants, which basically has several, a few hundred sections in it from different various prophets of, of the church from the time of Joseph Smith up to the current day prophet of the church, um, prophet of the church. So, so anyway, that's kind of the background I came out of, and and 
you know, I've been able to talk to my parents and, and challenge and, and love on them, you know, over the past few years um, since becoming a part of, of Harvest and since knowing Jesus um, as, as my Savior. And for them to get to know Jesus and to hear the gospel and to, to see this, you know, coming alive in, in them is, is just amazing. And, you know, they had a friend there that came down from, from up north uh, in the northern part of, uh, of, of the Seattle area. And, and she was a part of the community of Christ at one point, and then she had left as well. So she was there all weekend long to, to, to minister and to go to the crusade and to talk with them and share with them. Um, well, on Saturday night, uh, my cousin and his and his girlfriend, very antagonistic to the gospel, the girlfriend before, went forward and gave their lives to Christ. And what an awesome moment that was. And, uh, and some awesome discussions with my parents as well. And they, they loved every night of the crusade. They are so responding. There hasn't been a um, transformation. Well, there is transformation taking place. There hasn't been a, a commitment to, to Christ per se in, in you know, a transformation in that way, but it is coming. It is coming as they get to know him more and more. It took me six years. So uh, who knows where, how God is working and, and when that will take place. But continue to pray for them. And then on Sunday night, I called up a friend from high school that, you know, hadn't seen in eight years. And, you know, I didn't even have her number. I, I didn't know how to get a hold of her. I just happened to check the website to see if she's still working at the same place. And 10 years later, she happened to be and called her up and she called me back and I said, hey, you know, I'm in town. Our church is doing this thing. You want to come out? She said, sure, I'll come out. So she came out. She's a, a Buddhist and, and came out and really enjoyed it. Didn't give her life to Christ at that point, but had some great conversation afterward, shared the gospel even more with her. And she said, I, I want to talk more about this. I, I, want, I want to hear more. So as you can see, this is a very personal thing for me. And God poured out his spirit in mighty and powerful ways. And I'm so grateful for that. And so grateful to be able to share that with you. And so grateful for the team of which several of them are here tonight that came and ministered to my family and shared with them and poured out um, the blessing of Jesus to them. So uh, just a personal public thank you to those of you who are here who were a part of that team. So, you know, I started complaining today in my mind at the elementary site today where, you know, I teach um, instrumental music and I, I am at the middle school primarily and then every, every afternoon I go to one elementary school. I go to five a week and so I get there and one, this one teacher at the elementary school at the, on the Tuesday school I go to, Macy Elementary, is just a real pain. Just a real pain. You know, she doesn't really support what we do. In fact, if the kids aren't back to their classroom, you know, at the exact moment on time, she's calling the office and just, you know, going ballistic. And she even came in one time and started, you know, ranting and raving at the kids. And, man, you know, just driving nuts, you know. And, and so, you know, today the, the same thing started to happen. And I went into the office and I, I'm, I'm just all in my head. I'm, I'm starting to complain and getting angry. And I even, I even said, I, I just want to go in and talk to her. I'm, I'm going to, you know, give her a piece of my mind, you know. And then God quickly reminded me, he said, Jeremy, you're teaching numbers. You're going through numbers right now. And that is the book of grumblings and complainings. And do you know what happened to the people of Israel when they complained? And so God, God convicted me very heavily, changed my heart, and was able to talk to the secretary very calmly. And kind of the, the anger just, just left me really, really quickly. Um, 
and was able to talk to the secretary and square everything away. And she started complaining to me about <laughs> about the te- about the teacher, you know. But but I was able to walk away saying, you know, I'm here for the kids, and God's going to work it all out. And I didn't go talk to her, give her a piece of my mind, but. I was super convicted. As Tyler said, you know, every time I come up here, I, I feel like, gosh, I, I'm a wicked, unfaithful man, not worthy to stand up here. And I get convicted of this. And I'm grateful for this because it is this, these opportunities that keep me focused, keep me seeking Jesus with all my heart. As, as, as I go astray many times and go off to the look to the right or to the left, but like King Josiah, I want to stay focused and not turn in any direction. So thanks for allowing me the opportunity. I praise God for, for this. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that I would just decrease and you would increase completely, Lord. That your word would come forth powerfully here. That not a single person in this room would leave unchanged, God, but that we would be cut to the heart. Lord, we would be cut to the deepest part, the bone marrow, the souls of our being, Lord, that you would speak to us directly and powerfully. Lord, if there's any corners of sin that is lurking in our lives right now, that you would just pull that out, pluck that from us, Lord, that repentance would happen, that lives would be changed even in this room here tonight, just as we experienced over this last weekend. Pray for your strength and your power, Lord, to come forth. I pray you'd fill us with your spirit. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we're going to do a quick flyover of last week of numbers because, gosh, this is, this is a powerful section. And I think it's going to really help us to, to understand what's, what's going on in our chapter. Microphone. It's going to help us to understand what's going on in chapter 18 of numbers. So we see in chapter 12, we see grumbling and complaining already, Right? Miriam opposes, and like Moses is married to this Cushite woman, right? And already Miriam and Aaron are saying, hey, why are you married to this lady? And, and basically it's because she was black. I mean, that was the ultimate reason why. She was opposed, uh, they were opposed to this, and, and why, are you, why are you married to her? You know, why are you going after this woman, right? And, and immediately God says, I love what he says about Moses here. Check this out, and, and let me just read it in verse... Uh, Verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were in all the face of the earth. And I just, I want to be like Moses. I want to be like that. And basically he said, you know, why are you questioning Moses? Aren't you, aren't you afraid when you, you're speaking against him? Do you know that I've called him forth? And I love how throughout this, the hum- humility of Moses, he just... Moses and Aaron both, there's many times when they're called out by the people and challenged. And what do they do immediately? They're down on their face in front of the people. It's not like they stand there with their arms crossed saying, who are you to say anything against me? Who are you to call me out? I'm your leader. I'm, I'm the boss here. I'm the prophet. I'm the one called of God. Don't you dare. Don't you dare say anything against me. No. No, what was their response? To get on their face and to cry out to God to repent for the people. What an act of humility. Could we do that? I mean, I saw that over and over again throughout this, this week, and I was just blown away at the character of Moses. And then in chapter 13, we, 
we see they sent some spies into the promised land, into Cana, to check it out and to see what was going on there. And the spies come back and say, there's giants there. And, you know, the people are too big and too powerful. And there's no way that we could ever go in there and take them out. Moses, what is your issue? Why have you brought, brought us all this way just to get killed, to go into that land where, where we're going to be annihilated? These guys are giants. We look like grasshoppers, the text says, in comparison to these guys. So what happens? Well, the people who bring back the bad report, right? God takes care of them and kills them, kills them off, right? And, you know, there's a plague that spreads throughout all the land that, that happens. Like 14,000 people are killed, you know, later on as more grumbling and complaining occurs, right? It's devastating. Like stuff is going down like you wouldn't believe. And then there's this one part when, um, I think it's in chapter 15, Yeah, chapter 15, where this guy, he's like collecting sticks on the Sabbath. It just says he's gathering sticks. That's all he's doing, right? And all of a sudden, God kills him on the spot. And the first thing that I'm thinking of, like, okay, God, wasn't that, that was a little too much, don't you think? I mean, he's gathering sticks. He's gathering sticks. Maybe maybe for the fire. Maybe it's a little chilly outside. You know, what could be wrong with gathering sticks? And then God convicted me of this. He said, okay, here's the question. What wasn't that guy doing that he should have been doing on the Sabbath? What, was, what should have been going on? Well, worship and prayer, sacrifice, communion with God, t- spending time with God should have been happening then. And then God said, Jeremy, there's a lot of times that you gather sticks when you should be doing other things. And I was broken. And, I, and, and here's what God said too. He said this. He was gathering sticks maybe for a good reason, maybe because he needed them for the fire or or to keep them warm or for food or whatever the case might have been. But he didn't trust God that God would provide the sticks at the right time, at the right place. Instead, he thought he could kind of just skip the part about communion with God and spending time with God and worshiping God because he needed to take care of these other things. There were too many other pressing issues and too many things that needed to be taken care of. And so he had to kind of push that one out. Sorry, God, I got to take care of the sticks here. And uh, God spoke to my heart and said, Jeremy, you need to stop collecting so many sticks and trust me to provide them for you. So then we have Korah, right? And we have this whole rebellion of Korah. And they just come with like 250 guys against Moses and Aaron. And... Like, well-known guys, too. I mean, these are, these are leaders of, of the camps, and, and they're coming, and they're just going against what Moses and Aaron have said. And, and at one point, Moses says, hey, he, you're not going against Aaron and us here. You're going against God. Do you understand that? Do you understand what's going on? You are, you are going against the living God. And then, um, you know, Korah kind of comes back with a smart aleck response, you know, and and then what do they find themselves getting, you know, fired down upon? And, and then the whole ground split opens and they fall through, right? I mean, just catastrophe happens. And then it's after this that the plague occurs and 14,000 people are just, are killed. I mean, all sorts of crazy stuff is going down here. I mean, there's so much more. And then, and then in chapter 17, as we're going through this very quickly here, it's this, this point where the people are just, you know, rebelling and, and disrespecting Moses and Aaron, not recognizing the... Um, the anointing and appointing of God on their lives. And, and so God says, okay, you all bring out, you know, the, the men, you know, the leaders of the different tribes. You bring out your staves, right? You bring out your sticks. And these, these symbolized authority, right? 
So you bring out your sticks, and we're going to set the sticks down. And whatever stick starts to sprout and bloom is the one who has the authority. So what do you mean by that? Well, okay, so literally they bring these canes out, these sticks, and they set them down. And the stick of Moses and Aaron is set down, and all of a sudden it starts to sprout, literally like flowers and, and roots and everything coming out of this stick, right? And all of a sudden fruit is bad, you know, like almond, tr- almonds and, and fruit and all, everything is coming out of this stick, right? And, and symbolizing that, hey, here's where the fruit is happening. Here's where the fruit is coming out of. Fruit is coming out of the life of Moses and Aaron. And the rest of you are, are really dry. There's nothing happening. It's just dead wood, right? And so at that point, you could imagine that maybe Aaron and Moses are thinking, hey, we showed them. You, you guys have been really stupid. You, you haven't listened to our authority. You haven't obeyed God. And you know what? You're getting what you deserve. But here's where God steps in. It doesn't, and, and we don't see that necessarily in their heart at all. But here's where God steps in and, and says, no. Verse 1, chapter 18, are you there? It says this. This is incredible. So the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear iniquity. Connected with the sanctuary and you and your sons with you shall bear iniquity. Connected with your priesthood. Now let me just explain. Obviously the priesthood in this time were were the Levites, right? About a thousand or so men who were in charge of the ministerial aspects of taking care of the, not only taking care of the tabernacle and making sure that, that all of the things were in place, like the bread and, the, and everything was lit and everything was built exactly how it was supposed to be, but also just ministering to the people, going before God on their behalf. And so what he's saying there is that you all are responsible, in part, for the sin of the people. What? God doesn't come back and say, hey, Aaron, pat on the back, round of applause. You've been faithful. You've done good. I'm proud of you, man. These people over here, bunch of, you know, pains in the butts, right? And there were several times that, I mean, God was angry. He wanted to just strike him, strike him dead. You know, God said, hey, stand aside because I'm going to take them out right now. I'm going to consume the whole camp. And what did Moses and Aaron do? They're down on their face praying for the people, asking for repentance, and here we see the heart of, heart of God again. We see the heart of God saying, hey, look, look you, you get to bear some of the burden for this. Well, how? What, is, what do you mean by that? And, and let me just define what priesthood is nowadays, right? Priesthood back then were, of course, the, the priest, and, and then the high priest was Aaron. But now we are all a part of the priesthood. We are, it's called the priesthood of the believer, or we are, as the Bible says, a holy priesthood. All of us as believers, we're all as Christians, a part of the ministry team, if you will. We all share this responsibility. This is connected directly to us. This isn't just pastors. This isn't just, you know, our head pastor at Harvest, Greg Glory, and, and the associate pastors. And, you know, maybe the staff, maybe they're thrown in there as well. And no, this is all of us. This is speaking directly to you and to I. We aren't exempt from this in any way. So what do you mean by bearing the iniquity of the people? How many people look up to you? 
How many people are you, do you have influence upon? How many people are you discipling in your life? How many people are you setting an example to? Because the actions that you do, the things that you do, will have a direct impact on whether or not that person follows Jesus with all their heart or maybe stumbles a bit or goes off in one direction or another. Now, you're not fully responsible because they have a choice as well. But here's the question. Take that person that is on your heart. Are you, are you praying for them? Are you interceding for them? Are you calling them up and, hey, holding them accountable and seeing how they're doing and checking in on them and making sure that they're doing okay and asking them, you know, questions and, and being there for them. And, and I know we all fall short in that. And by the grace of God, you know, he takes care of us and, he, and that burden doesn't fall completely on us. But what he's saying here is you are responsible. We are responsible. And I know there's a lot of people that look up to us. There's a lot of people that we have in our influence. There's a lot of people that look to our example. And so I want you to just kind of get in your mind those people right now. And and if you aren't discipling anyone right now, you need to be. You need to be discipling people. You need to take someone under your wing and say, hey, let me me hang out with you. Let me meet with you once a week. And you want to have dinner and let's chat and let's do life together. Let, let Let me find out what's really going on. Let's get to the, to the depths of your heart. I don't want to just stay on the surface, but let's go to the real issues of, of sin and of, of pressure, of, of whatever may be happening. Let's talk about your family. Let's talk about, where, you know, let's talk about everything that's going on. And, you know, let me pray for you. you know, and you know what? I'm going to make a commitment throughout the week to pray for you every day. And I'm going to pray for specific things. And, you know, I'm going to meet your family. and Whatever the case may be, it could go on and on. You, you know what's going on in your life. Take somebody under your wing and, and do that. Just pray for the opportunity. If you don't know, the opportunity is there waiting. You just have to open your eyes and see it, and God will show you. We must bear the iniquity of our brothers and sisters. We are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. Are we not? We're on the same team here. Verse 2, and with you bring your brothers also the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may join you and minister to you while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. So, So we see here it's a team effort. Basically, that's what he's saying. Hey, gather everybody together. You don't share the burden alone. I'm going to provide for you a team of ministers here, and we're going to work together. We're going to minister together, and we're going to take care of these people. And there's going to be specific things that, that you're going to do, specific things that you're gifted in. There's, these people are gifted in this area, and these people are gifted in that area. And now we're going to see here in the next couple of verses that, hey, we need to recognize that and be discerning about you know, our gifts and the gifts of others. You know, for example, I am, I'm not a great administrator, not very good at all, so that probably would not be a great position for me to be in in, in anything, although there's certain aspects of that I have to do with my job for sure. But, but that would not be one of my skill sets. There are many things that I'm not good at, so many things. There's not too many things I'm very good at, just to, tell you, to be honest with you. But, 
But we need to recognize those things. And sometimes we, we jump, and I've done this, we jump into things and, you know, we're really not supposed to be there. Like, it might be a good thing, but, but God really hasn't called us there. Let's go on to the next verse because that'll start to explain that here. Verse 3. They shall keep guard over you and over the whole tent, but shall not come near to the vessels of the sanctuary or to the altar, lest they and you die. So, for example, maybe someone who, someone who's, who's never worked with kids before, who's not very patient at all, in fact, who maybe hates kids, we probably wouldn't be a good idea to send them into, you know, a children's ministry classroom and have them teaching, you know, for the first time with no help or, you know, anything like that. You know what I'm saying? That, that's not what we're going to send them into. The calling of God is going to come upon them just as it was for for Moses and Aaron here, their calling and for the high priest was to go into that portion of the tabernacle, to minister there, to come before God, to, to pray for the people, to make sacrifices for them, to take care of those types of duties. And everybody else was on, you know, right there with them, guarding now, what were they guarding? I, I don't think they were guarding for the enemies, you know, waiting on the outside, like, okay, we're going we're gonna to come in and, you know, here's the, the terrorist group from up north, you know, those people, those, nef- those giants from Canaan, they're coming over and they're going to, you know, just knock down this, you know, tabernacle we've built and come in and destroy it, you know. That's not what they're guarding. No, they're guarding the hearts of the ministers that are there. They're praying for them. They're on their hands and knees and praying for the, for the, pa- for the high priest, for Aaron. They're praying for the people. They're praying for God to intercede. Just as Jesus is our intercessor, so were they being intercessors for the people and for the ministers as well. And, and they're all ministers. Verse 4, They shall join you and keep guard over the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent, and no outsider shall come near you. And you shall keep guard over the sanctuary and over the altar, that there may never again be wrath on the people of Israel. Now this you here, it says in verse 5, it's, that's you collective. That's not you as in speaking to one priest or to the high priest. That is all of us collective. And Our job is to keep guard over the sanctuary so that no more wrath will come upon the people. We've seen in this previous week, these last seven chapters, how much wrath has come uh, come upon the people because of their disobedience. So what is God calling us to do? To take on and to bear their iniquities so that that won't happen anymore. Now, what is this a picture of here? Let's get some group participation here. Can someone turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 1? Romans chapter 8, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Who wants to read it for me? Can, can someone read that verse? Megan, go for it. Hold on, Megan, stand up and read it really loud. All right, so what's the opposite of peace? The opposite of peace is being at war. If we're at war with God, then the wrath of God is upon us, right? We met so many people, as we meet here all the time, where the wrath of God is upon them, right? And we don't see this. It's like we we don't understand that, you know, there's with that separation between between those people and God, you know, sin that separates them, that the wrath of God is going to pour out upon them without, without Jesus, without that 
He's the propitiation. You've heard that word before, propitiation of sin. That means he's the one who took on the wrath, and that's what he did at the cross. He bore all of that. It wasn't just physical pain and suffering that he went through all that, although that was very intense and, and that was incredible. But can you imagine... Just my sins alone had to be intense, powerful pain that were put upon Jesus at that cross. Can you imagine taking all of our sins upon that? He took on the wrath of God. Because just like a judge, when, when a convict comes before someone who has been sentenced and convicted of a crime comes before the judge, the judge has an obligation to give a sentence to that prisoner, to jail or or pay a fine, or community service, or, or, or maybe it's even death. And so is, jo- so is God the great judge. He has an obligation to punish sin, and he will. Because sin cannot inherit the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is a perfect place. And I hope, I know this is, in, in a sense we all understand this, I hope we do, but we need to be able to understand this and articulate that and realize exactly what's going on, because the wrath of God is is going to be poured out. And, and we have an opportunity as believers to witness to people and to share and, and to keep that from happening. And that's what, that's what he's saying here. Jesus was the ultimate taker of that wrath. And as he commissioned us to go into all of the world to proclaim the good news of, of the gospel, we have the privilege and responsibility of helping and being used by God for that wrath to be taken off of many in our lives. And I pray that we would take that seriously and that responsibility would be a great burden on our shoulders. Not, not that would weigh us down and just keep us from, from doing what God wants us to do, but to motivate us to love lavishly upon people. Your families. Many of us have families that don't know the Lord yet. I've been convicted of just, you know, sometimes sitting back and just kind of letting time go by. And time is running out. We need to love on our friends and our families so that that wrath of God might be taken away forever through their acceptance and giving their life to Christ. And that's what he's saying here. Verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 6. And behold, I have taken your brothers, the Levites, from among the people of Israel. They are a gift to you, given to the Lord, or given by the Lord, to do the service of the tent of meeting. <laughs> each other, we have each other. Did you understand that we're a gift to each other? I really experienced, I've experienced that so much in Seattle especially. I mean, everyone who was there with me was such a gift and such a blessing. And sometimes we're so disconnected with each other. A lot of times we go in our separate ways and do our own things that we don't realize how much of a gift we are to each other. Reach out to each other. Ask for prayer. Get together. And let that conversation and that fellowship be so Christ-centered and just, you know, you're talking about the things of God and, you know, just powerful things are happening. You're learning from each other and, you know, growing and praying with each other. And, man, radical things will continue to happen as the body of Christ gets together because it's a gift Because you're all a gift to each other. You're all a gift to me. And it says, and verse 7, And you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar, and that is within the veil. Okay, so what is that saying? He's saying, okay, 
everything that's within the veil, what is that? Inside the veil is where God is. That's where God dwells, right? And so everything that's around there, all the, the holy things, everything of God, you're to guard yourselves so that everything you do is centered and focused on Jesus, centered and focused on what it should be, so that as you're doing ministry, you know, you're, you're stacking chairs after service at the well on Friday or whatever. You're not just stacking chairs, but you are stacking chairs for the kingdom of God, and you're doing it in the name of God. As, as you are going about your daily tasks and work that you do, you're doing it in the name of God. The ministry that you do must be focused. The things that you do must be focused and must be centered and must have a purpose of none other than glorifying God. And I challenge me and I challenge you to ask yourself that question is, from the time I get up in the morning and wake up and hit the snooze button 10 times, am I, am I glorifying God in everything I do? Is it centered on everything that's behind the veil. But guess what? Now we don't have the veil anymore, right? All the, the veil has been torn and we get to have intimate communion with him. No, no more is that, is, that, is that there. But we still need to guard to make sure that, that that's where our focus is. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what we're guarding, that's what we're guarding against to make sure that we don't get lost in, in something else. In children's ministry, am, am I babysitting kids? And putting up with them, letting the, pass, the time pass by while the parents are in service, or, I, or am I intentionally and purpose of, purpose of, purposefully teaching them the word of God and showing them what it's like to loving on them like Jesus would? There's a difference. There's a difference. Ask yourself that question, as I have many times. And continue to do. And the last part of the, the verse, it says, and you shall serve. Do you see that? Highlight that. Underline that. And you shall serve. We are servants. We are slaves of the living God. He has bought us with a price, as we'll see later on in this chapter. He has bought us with a great price, his blood, the greatest price that could ever be shed. Would we pay that high of price for anybody? Would we, would we die for somebody else? Would we... Would we pay for somebody's life with our very own? Jesus has done that for us. And we in turn are his servants and slaves and we will do whatever, whatever for him. And you shall serve the people. You shall love on them as Jesus has served the people as well. And you shall serve. I give your priesthood as a gift and any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. This is no small thing here. This is not something to take for granted the responsibility, the privilege that is placed upon all of us is not a burden, but a, but a, but a great privilege, a great and exciting opportunity. But it's something that must be taken very, very seriously. Because if we are not in communion with God, we might miss opportunities where he's speaking to us to, hey, speak to that person. That person is in need of this, and, and we, we need to minister here, and we're missing out on an opportunity here. Don't miss out on that. Let's take this very seriously. Let's take our, the gift of each other, the gift and the opportunity to minister very seriously. Verse 8, then the Lord spoke to Aaron, Behold, I have given you charge of the contributions made to me, all the consecrated things of the people of Israel. I have given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual due. 
This shall be yours of the most holy things, reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, every grain offering of theirs, and every sin offering of theirs, every guilt offering of theirs, which they render to me, shall be most holy to you and to your sons. In a most holy place you shall eat it. Every male may eat it, for it is holy to you. This also is yours, the contribution of their gift. All the wave offerings of the people of Israel, I have given them all to you and to your sons and your daughters with you as a perpetual due. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. All the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and the best of the grain and all of the first fruits of what they give to the Lord, I give to you. Well, what he's saying here is, hey, all of the tithes and offerings that come in from the people, all of the, and there's many, and, and basically it explained in the many different kinds of offerings, whether it be a, a sin offering, whether it be a guilt offering, whether it be a, a thank, offering of thanksgiving, whether it be an offering of the first fruits. You know, there's many, there was many festivals and many things that went on like Pentecost when they would give the first fruits of their, of their crops, of everything that they grew. You know, they'd give that portion to God. They'd, they'd give it to the church. And what God is saying is, hey, all of you as priests, you are the ministers. You are, you are the ones who are going to benefit from that. You are, you are being blessed by that. Everything is coming back to you. Now, there's a couple of implications here. One is, and it says here, look in that last verse that we just read. This is pretty powerful. It says, verse 12, all of the best of the oil and the best of the wine and the best of the grain and the first fruits, that's the best of the crop, that's the first of the crop. That's not after everything is, sat, you know, gone stale and gone dry and all that. It's the best of the best is all going to be given to you. So that, the implication is this. Wow, we're getting some great stuff here. We're, we're getting the best that, that God has to offer on this earth. So what does that say to you and I? That says, wow, God is so gracious. But we must not take this gift for granted. We must use it wisely. Now here's the other implication. As we minister to others, as we bless others, as we provide for others, so we too will be provided for as well. As we minister to others, as we comfort others, as we pour out to others, so the blessing will come back and return for us. God will provide for us. We never have to worry. So often I'm concerned about provision. You know, is this going to work? Is this going to work out of here? You know, trusting that it's ev- everything's going to happen. It's all going to fall into place. And how is this going to work? And God's going to provide. Oh, Jeremy of little faith, God will provide. Because he always does, and he's always come through for me. And why do I forget? Why do I forget so much? Why do I forget? But take heart and, and just know that he will always, always provide. The, the first fruits come back to you because God is a gracious God. God loves his people. And as you know, God has poured out to you lavishly, lavishly. So many times, time after time. Verse 13, the, the first ripe fruits of all that is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. 
everything that opens the womb of all the flesh or everything that the firstborn of, of everything, whether man or beast, which they offer to the Lord shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. What does it mean to redeem these unclean things? And it puts man in that category of uncleanliness, right? Well, it's spotted by sin. For whatever reason, these specific animals were unclean, according to God, and so they needed to be redeemed. And there was a price, as we're going to read here in, in just a little bit, that had to be paid for them. You, you remember even the, the little boy, Samuel, that was given to Eli the priest in the Old Testament, right? He was given as a gift to Eli the, old, the, the high priest. But there's a price to pay. And it says here, verse 16, And their redemption price, at a month old, you, sh- you shall redeem them. You shall fix it five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 24 geras. And I'm not sure exactly how that translates into our currency of today, but it was quite a bit of money. And immediately what caught my attention is, again, Jesus bought us with a price, with a very, very high price, an incredible price that we could never, ever, ever, ever repay. And I pray that we would understand that. I pray that we would worship him because of how great he is and because of that incredible price that he has brought us with. Verse 17, but the firstborn of a cow or the firstborn of a sheep or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem. They are holy. It's kind of like they're like, they're like Jesus. They're that spotless lamb, right? And so they're, they're available to be used as the sacrifice offering. There is no sin on them. And so back, back in that time, of course, as you know, the, the, the little animal would, would be placed on the altar and, and the sins of, of the person, whoever is placing the animal there, would be thrown onto that animal, would be placed there symbolically. And the family or the person would watch that animal be killed and suffer and blood spilled out everywhere to see that man's sin is ugly and sin is bloody. And also to, to say, hey, wait a second, I, I don't, I don't want to sin. I hate sin. Sin is, there's nothing good about it. It was a visual, and quite often they would have to keep the little animal, you know, for a while. And, you know, this cute little lamb, you know, become, you know, pet George or whatever at home. And, and then all of a sudden you, you got to use that animal after a year or so to, to kill it. I mean, how would you like to take, you know, you have a, a dog, you know, that you dearly love or a little kitty or whatever that, you know, that you've grown accustomed to for a year now. You've had it since it was a little baby. You know, and it comes to you and it purrs and it, you know, talks to you or whatever, barks it, it you know, whatever. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, you've messed up. You know, there's sin in your life and you've got to take, you know, George or, you know, Fido or whatever. And you said, you know, you got to take him out and slit its throat and watch all this happen and the blood come gushing out. And then, you know, I, I mean, can you imagine that? These weren't just, you know, sheep that are out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we, You've seen sheep just hanging out, goats. You're like, whatever, kill it. I don't, you know, I don't care. Well, some of you might care, but it's like a dumb goat sitting out there, dumb sheep or whatever. I, I don't have any attachment to, you know, whatever. But these people did. And, and it, made, <laughs> it made a difference. And as they watched this, it was incredible. I, I wonder what it was like to watch Jesus hanging up and suffering on that cross. Have you ever imagined that? Have you imagined what that was like to, to see him suffering for the wrath of God being poured out upon him as our sins were placed upon his back? And I pray that, 
You know, the cross would be something that we would be grateful for every day that we would think about all the time. It's not a cliche. It's not, you know, sometimes, yeah, Jesus died for, you know, the cross and all this kind of stuff. And it's kind of just thrown out there without really thinking about what that really means and how powerful that is and what he really did for us. I pray that we would consider that every day. Every day. Verse 18, but their flesh shall be yours as the breast that is waved and as the right thigh are yours. All the holy contributions that the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord, before you and for your offspring with you. Okay, check this out. What what does covenant of salt mean? Well, Here's, here's the promise. He kept saying perpetual do. Perpetual means to continually give it, right? A covenant of salt means, well, salt is durable. Salt lasts. It doesn't, it doesn't just burn up, right? And so what he's saying by this covenant of salt is basically, well, you know the term salary, right? The term salary actually comes from the word salt. And well, what is a salary? Salary is not based on, okay, I, I work so hours or I've made so, so many customers, or I've done so much here, and so therefore I make money based on what I've done, right? A salary is you, you get a set amount no matter what, basically. Obviously, if you, you, know, you can get fired and all that stuff, but, but you know what I'm saying. You know what a salary is. And so, so what's happening here is he's saying, hey, you're getting a salary, a salary that is perpetual, that is never going to run out, And he keeps reminding them, like, half of this chapter is all about reminding them of God's provision for the ministers, for the people who are ministering to the people of God. God is saying, hey, be faithful with my little flock, and I will provide for you. You will never, ever run dry, ever. It's a covenant of salt. Verse 20, and the Lord said to Aaron, shall have no inheritance in their land. Neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. So, hey, you ain't getting nothing from, you know, from whatever comes from, you know, the inheritance that the people might have when, you know, great-great-grandmother dies and, you know, she's not going to leave you with your house. You're not going to get it. You're not going to get that BMW that grandpa owns. You're not going to get this and that. You're not going to get the things that might be coming to you, might think that they're coming to you. None of that's going to come. Not that $100,000 that, you know, grandma had in her savings and, and now you get to, to put in the bank and you get to bank on that. No, you get to bank on the provision of God and you get to trust him, not knowing exactly how much you're going to have or when it's going to come, but just knowing that it's going to come. How many of us rely on our paychecks? We go paycheck to paycheck sometimes and, and, um, we, we rely on something coming in. We rely on this. We rely on that. And that's not bad. Obviously, we need our paychecks and whatnot. But we so, so often put our, our focus and our weight and our just everything in that which we get from the world. And we forget about the, the lavish provision of God. And I pray that we would not forget that because it is great. Let me just read through this next section that's, that speaks very similarly here. It says, verse 21, To the Levites I have given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. 
so that the people of Israel do not come near the tent of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tent of meeting, and they shall bear their iniquity. There it is again, coming back to bearing their iniquity, going, kind of reviewing again what we've already talked about. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations, and among the people of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to you, Levites, for an inheritance. That is what you get, the provision from the Lord. Therefore, I have said of them that they shall have no inheritance among the people of Israel. Verse 25. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, When you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I have given you from them for your inheritance, check this out, then you shall present a contribution from that to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. So as these guys are receiving from the people, they too, they too are also giving back. On top of of what they're giving in ministry, what they're giving to take care of the people and to love on them and to minister to them, to pray for them, to disciple them, they too, as they are provided, as they are given provision, they too are giving back. And I pray that all of us are doing that as well, that we are tithing faithfully, to the church, that we are giving back that portion that God requires. And as, you know, James McDonald said once at a message at Harvest uh, a few months ago, he said, I would, and it's 10%, right? 10% is the, is the number. He said, I would rather, I would rather be 90% and with God than be 10% and on my own. Understand? Or, or 90, only have 90%, so be 10% less and have God than to keep that 10% and to be on my own. And of course, as we know, when we faithfully give, and God's going to provide. This is all about provision. When we faithfully give, God is going to provide exactly what we need at exactly the right time, no matter what. And your contribution, verse 27, shall be counted to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. So shall you present a contribution to the Lord from all your tithes, which you receive from the people of Israel. And from it you shall give the Lord's contribution to Aaron the high priest. Out of all the gifts to you shall present every contribution due to the Lord. From each its best part is to be dedicated. So don't just give, you know, your old ratty pair of jeans or whatever, you know. Give the best. Go and buy a brand new pair of jeans for that person. Don't just give God the last couple dollars that you have in there. Oh, this will be good for the, for the uh, offering, you know, today. No, give him first. Like when, when you first get your paycheck and, you know, man, that money's in the bank. There it is. Boom. Let's take it out right now. Some of that's not yours, baby. That's God's. So you, you take what is not yours and you give it back to him right now. And it's gone. I mean, you just know that it's, it's not there. And as it says here in the text, that that will be multiplied back to you a million times over. Out of all the gifts to you, you shall present every contribution due to the Lord from each its best part to be dedicated. Verse 30, therefore, you shall say to them, when you have offered from it the best of it, 
Then the rest shall be counted to the Levites as produce of the threshing floor and as produce of the wine press. So they're going to use it to, you know, to, to make bread and to, do, and to make wine and, and to, to make stuff with it, right? To take care of them, to make food. And you may eat it in any place, you and your households, for it is your reward in return for your service in the tent of meeting. So return for your service at church among the people. And you shall bear no sin by reason of it when you have contributed the best of it. But you shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, lest you die. Well, how does that happen? How, can, how could we profane the holy things of Israel? How could we do that? What would we do to profane them? What would we do to just kind of throw them aside and say, hey, this, isn't, this, isn't, this is nothing, right? Well, as we've already talked about, it says to give the very, very best. And if we go in and we come before the Lord with, well, what was Cain's offering? Some dried up vegetables, right? Nothing at all, and God rejected that. If we come in with an offering like Cain, then we have profaned the holiness of God. We have said, God, you are not worth it. You are not worthy. I'm just going to give you my leftovers. I'm going to give you what the scraps, what the dogs eat, what the, you know, I feed to the cat. And, you know, that which the dog and cat gets sick on and, you know, sometimes dies because we give them that food, right? That's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to just give you the leftovers. I'm going to take care of me first. And then whatever I have left over, I'm just going to go ahead and give to you. And and that'll be good enough. But it's the opposite here. He says, no, you give me your best first. And as you step out in faith with your best then I'm going to give you the best of me. And the best of God, to be filled with God, to be filled with the living Lord inside of us, there is no greater thing. There is no greater thing. So I pray that as we wrap all of these things, as we wrap our mind around everything here, that we would understand the implications of what you and I are both called to do. That we would step out with wisdom and discernment in exercising the gifts that God has given to each of us. That we would be seeking opportunities in the lives of the people that we are in, come in contact with every day and maybe those that we have yet to come in contact with, asking God, here am I, send me. I want to go into your flock and I want to do your will. And I care about the wrath that is potentially being poured out on these people and that person and that person. And God, I am here for you so that you can use me to keep that from happening. And I'll do whatever it takes. And God, as I am waiting on you, I'm going to worship you with my best. I'm going to give you all that I have. Lord Jesus, I'm going to give you my life. And I pray that that's what you would do every single morning that you wake up and say, God, my life is not my own. It was bought with a price, a very, very hefty price, the greatest price that could ever be paid with the blood of the dear son of Jesus, the son of God named Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that a God loving us so much that he would pay the price, that he would kill his son? Just like you think, you think that little you know, baby animal, that little baby Fido on that you know, cutting block there is, is bad enough. Can you imagine God sending his son and watching him being killed and crucified and, and blood pouring out because of our sins, because he loved us so much? So I pray that you would consider that every day as you give your life to him 
every day. May God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and, and realize that we have nothing to offer you other than ourselves, God. That everything good that we have comes from you, Lord. Not, it's not of ourselves that, that we should boast in any way, Lord, but, but everything, anything good from us, anything good about us is, is all because of you. And so we give it all back to you, Lord, because on our own, we would just mess it up, God. But we pray that you would take hold of each of us, God, and send us out of here with greater wisdom and discernment filled with your Holy Spirit that we might be ministers of your kingdom, that we might be used by you in powerful ways every single day. To be used by you, Lord, to help keep people from the wrath of God that will be poured out at the judgment day, Lord. I pray, Lord, that our families and our friends, Lord, would come to know you, Lord, that we would continue to pray for them, be on our knees for them, have a burden for them, and that we would cry out to you for them, God. And then every day we would give you our very, very best. Not the leftovers, not the old stuff, not the worn stuff, but the very best. Lord, help us to give you our lives every day. Help us with our unbelief. Help, help us to be faithful servants for your kingdom. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.